1: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. And if you're in uh, Northeast Wisconsin or Michigan, Merry Christmas. Uh, May 1st, we had some snow on the ground this morning. Yes, we put on our lights and the coffee and the fireplace and just and some Christmas instrumental music, and enjoyed the morning. But anyway, uh, it was great to see uh, many of you at the Great Lakes Prophecy Conference in Appleton, Wisconsin, at the at Calvary Chapel there over the weekend. It was a phenomenal conference. Uh, Tommy Ice, T.A. McMahon, Chris Quintanis, Jeff Solwald, Rob Yardley, um, what, just amazing fellowship. And uh, I was just really blessed by those of you who came up after m- my session, and uh, just great conversation. and. Um, I moved some books too. I was able to give away four, about four cases of books. So you're, if you haven't heard, um, why are you giving them away? Well, just the first two books that I wrote because I got the rights from my publisher and I was able to get all of their uh, product that was in their warehouse shipped to me. So I've got a pallet of cases in my garage and I don't want them sitting in my garage. I'd rather have them in the hands of people. So that's why it was, it was fun. Great, great weekend. Great conference. So thank you. And all of those uh, who came up and asked about Rosanna and that told her you're praying for her. She was so blessed. Um, first segment today. A new book out called The Christ Cure, Ten Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. In just a minute we're going to connect with Dr. Tim Murphy, former congressman in Pennsylvania, and he's got an incredible bio. And uh he was just seeing a patient minutes ago and we'll have him on in a minute. But I, I also wanted to say um Jesus apparently is very controversial today if you believe the New Testament. Matthew nineteen four Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? We're going to talk about what I shared a little bit about at the conference, Amago Day, the image of God and why Satan hates it, why Satan wants to destroy human beings made in God's image, and uh, the assault on that biblical truth that mankind, man and woman, Are made in the image of God. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also want to update you on uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, We're going to hear an an audio clip from him in the next segment, in segment two, and we're going to just talk about what he was sharing before he either left or was fired or resigned from Fox News. Um, I really, really um, enjoyed his speech at the Heritage uh, Foundation last week. Um, before, again, before he left Fox News. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, the there's an article that I think we're going to go cite. And that is, hang on just a second. Um, who is telling the truth? Tucker Carlson calls out corrupt media and politicians. And, of course, he did the no-no. He spoke out against Big Pharma. And uh, th- he got in trouble for that. But anyway, that's going to be segment two. So right now... Uh, We're going to bring in our guest, and we can't wait to hear about the brand new book, The Christ Cure, which is available on Amazon and where good books are sold, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. It's Dr. Tim Murphy. He's a licensed psychologist specializing in resilience and recovery from psychological trauma. Um, He's also authored two other books or co-authored, and he consults on mental health and public policy with national organizations and speaks extensively throughout the U.S., He has background. He served as Pennsylvania State Senate Senator, and also he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives eight times. He served eight years as an officer in the Medical Service Corps of the U.S. Navy Reserve, achieving the rank of commander he worked on the staff in the inpatient traumatic brain injury PTSD unit at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. And as I said, the author of what the book we're going to talk about, The Christ Cure, Dr. Tim Murphy, welcome to the podcast. Uh, good uh, day. It's great to be with you. Yes, good morning, sir. And I know I was telling the, the listeners uh, minutes ago that you were just with a patient. Boy, you mu- I can't imagine how busy you are. But thanks for taking your time uh, to be with us this morning and, and talk about your book. Um, before we do that, I would just love for you to share a, a little bit about your background. You've got such an extensive bio uh, from <laughs> politics to the medical profession. Um, just share a little bit about your journey to where you are today.
0: Well, I had um, worked as a psychologist for a number of years, he, thinking that was my career. And then uh, for a couple of reasons, one, I wasn't satisfied, feeling I wasn't doing enough. Um, uh, and also was very concerned about public health policy, decided to run for office, having not done that before, wasn't quite sure what to do. But I thought, well, rather than being on the sidelines of complaining, I will go for it myself. I <laughs> uh, did, got elected to the state senate, worked on some major legislation for health care reform there still felt this yearning. I wasn't satisfied. Things weren't, I wasn't achieving enough. Wasn't in doing the, the things that I thought I was fulfilled with. So I went on to run for Congress. They worked on major legislative reforms in health care. Hmm. Battled that actually for several years. It's Even though people talk a lot in on federal policy about wanting to fix health care and met, mental health care, they really, the government oftentimes throws money at problems but doesn't solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also then I'm thinking, well, if I'm voting to send our best and brightest to fight in wars and I have a skill I'd like to participate too. So I actually had a meeting once where the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff was there and I said, you know, I I thought for many years about being a psychologist in the Navy but they didn't want me. So, well we need you now <laughs> and um he I said, but maybe I'm not a kid anymore. He says, oh, we'll get a waiver for you. Um, Nine months later, I'm the hangar deck of the USS Eisenhower aircraft carrier, taking the oath as a commission officer. Uh, and that's when I began to work, uh, not just at Walter Reed Hospital, treating patients with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder, but also uh, did some time in a couple of aircraft carriers and working with Navy Special Warfare, the SEALs while I'm in Congress. Wow. And what's important throughout <laughs> this whole thing is I was overwhelmed with time and taking care of everybody. And there's a line, I think it's in Match, which says winning the whole world and losing yourself. And quite frankly, that's what was happening
1: to me. Mm. Wow.
0: That my lifetime as, as a young man as an adult uh, dealing with uh, an alcoholic father who was very often abusive, who I would sometimes run between my mother and father and stand there and take his hits instead of uh, her, mm. um, <clears throat> that there was events in my life too, which my sisters reminded me of that I quite frankly have no memory of where my father be attacked, my mother and I came and intervened. I just don't even remember having done that. But what my approach was, if only I help enough people, if only I achieve enough myself, I can feel better about myself. And, you know, think about this with politicians. You think, well, they're all confident and arrogant and polished and all those things. But really for me, underneath that was this continuous desire to do more, feeling of not doing enough, this continuous belief that, I'm not good enough and struggling with depression through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that I was paying attention to everybody about my own family, and my own marriage, and my own marriage was falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with more difficulties hitting, quite frankly, I finally said, this is it. I'm leaving and walked out of, you know, resigned from Congress. Um, and I, but I had to also say someone else can pick it up. Other people can take care of it. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Cause the top thing in my life has to be, resolving things in my life with my family. What all this gave me, an insight in that I didn't intend to do, was all these years I was treating people with trauma but ignoring my own trauma. Mm. I was helping other people over their hurdles and through their darkness and not taking care of my own. So I reached a point really when I, when I left Congress and I <clears throat> just in the depths of despair um, not wanting to wake up in the morning and cursing the sunrise, like, oh, my gosh, I'm still here. Mm. I wish I'd just been taken away. I had to come to terms with this, uh, painful but important, and then really turn back to the Bible. Uh, uh, had a couple people in my life that were fairly new and said, hey, come with us. Well, we want to work you on this. We want to work with you. Because you find when, when you're overwhelmed with trauma, many people that you know just look at the surface of that. Mm. You know, what, are the, what are the symptoms you have? And so whether it's a soldier, a policeman, a paramedic, a fireman, a friend, whatever, 70% of people go through some major traumatic event in their life. 20% will hang on significantly to some symptoms. But what many people look at is just the symptoms, just the surface. Are you drinking too much? You want drugs? Are you gambling? Are you running around? Are you you're taking your motorcycle down the highway at 100 miles an hour? Are you trying to challenge death itself? Mm. Uh, Are you having trouble with relationships? So people will judge you on that. And that becomes the things the media and the public look at in terms of gossip and grudges. Never getting beneath that. Um, And when talking with someone about trauma, uh, and and they tell me what they've gone through, and they tell me how they're coping with it, or think they're coping with it, I often ask them a question, is that working out for you? And they say, no, it's not. Mm. And we know when it comes to treating trauma, uh, many times, like the Veterans Administration, I think for, for our veterans, they'll, they'll prescribe a lot of medication. And doctors will prescribe medication for anybody who has troubles. But medication can change how we feel. It does not change how we think. It does not change how we behave. Yes. And in doing talk therapy, which I do as a psychologist, I help people change the way they think. But there's this point at which we've gone as far as we could. I may teach them techniques to calm them down when they're anxious because it's important the person with trauma. Their brain actually goes through architectural changes that the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is like our smoke detector saying something's wrong, that can be going off all the time because our memory loop of our trauma doesn't stop. It infinitely runs through the difficult situations we face. Mm. And each time the brain's responding with, we're under attack, let's prepare. So all these stress hormones have dumped through our body. All these things take place. And that changes the way our brain functions, so much so that that, that amygdala, I, I use the analogy of a smoke detector, but here's the thing, it's very powerful, it's very strong, it, it, it helps us start survival, but it's kind of dumb, because like a smoke detector, it cannot tell the difference between your house is on fire, or you just blew out a lot of birthday candles. <laughs> um, and so what happens is, we have to make some sense of that, but the person who's experienced chronic trauma and anxiety replays. Um, their, their body changes and they reach the point they can't sleep, their relationships are broken, mm-hmm. they have this hyper-vigilance all the time, always on edge, can easily have anxiety and panic attacks. What was happening to me, I had to look back and say, my gosh, I'm doing the same thing. I have to do something about that. And when I, when I say that people just get so far with talk therapy with medication, what I realized in getting back to some biblical principles and religion is that people who have Regular religious practice, not just someone who believes spiritually, but regular religious practice, they heal better, longer, uh, sustain, uh, less involved with uh, symptoms, um, and and culturally also less involved with crime and acting out in anger, etc. We know when people are engaged in acts of kindness and generosity towards other things, which religion encourages us to do, it also helps to calm down trauma. So this is where, in reading more, I would I sort of rediscovered all over again what has been around for thousands of years. The life of the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. is an incredible t- teaching tool for us because of his multiple traumas. Beaten with rods three times. Uh, get 39 lashes with whip five times. Stoned and assumed he was dead. Uh, we had to escape from many towns because people were after him. Robbed, sleepless, hungry, uh, floating around in the ocean for a day and a half on a piece of driftwood or in the Mediterranean Sea stormy seas, change to a wall in a woman prison. The list goes on and yeah. on. And any one of those should have broken him. That's right. Any one of those, we would say, well, you, you could be having overwhelming PTSD. And I, I counted like 30 or 40 of these instances that I know it for him. And I said, why didn't he? And this is where, when I sat down and began to write about this, I realized, I identified these four stages of what he did. One was is building his resilience before problems occurred. Second was um, arming himself in the resistance of the battles that he had all the time. The third thing was recovery after each one of these battles and the fourth stage. And this is the one that is critically important when one looks at the religious and spiritual and faith aspects of this is renewal. So what Paul wrote to be transformed by a renewing of the mind, mm. Romans twelve two. Yes, And this is where I see things really critically change for him and gave me a freedom which I teach to other people too.
1: Mm. Friends, uh, the book is brand new. It's on Amazon and, of course, it's on Dr. Tim Murphy's website, but it's called The Christ Cure, Ten Biblical Ways to heal from trauma, tragedy, and PTSD. Um, that's one of the talking points uh, that I got from um, your representative that I really appreciated and really drew me in because I'm thinking, wow, that what a great example because the Apostle Paul did suffer, as it says, several dozen severe traumas, including physical violence, and uh, modern psychological research suggests any one of those traumas should have been emotionally crippling, but instead... Paul somehow not only endured it, but he grew stronger and more bold, and only Christ can do that.
0: Yes, and that's what's so important. He didn't complain about his sufferings. What did he say? He said, by his stripes I'm healed. This suffering, he saw meaning in it. When we struggle in life, and we're all going to struggle in life, it, it weakens us and we can become tempted then by forces of evil to say, you know what, you don't have to suffer so much. Do this. I mean, think about how Jesus was tempted. You know, if you're hungry, turn these stones to bread. Jump off this cliff and fly. I'll give you all this power. And Jesus says, "No, because I know what's coming with that. I'm not striking that deal with the devil." What we do though, when we're immersed in our depression or anxiety, we often say, "I cannot handle this. I mm-hmm. cannot handle the suffering." And Paul's saying, "Hey, I've been through worse." Mm. <laughs> you look at some of his letters. that says. Hey, look what I've done! You, you want to complain? Uh, you know, I'm not saying these to brag. I'm saying I got a lot of problems. I've got this thorn in my side. I can't get rid of. So what I do is I see it as meaningful for me. It, bring, it brought him closer to understand the sacrifices that Jesus made for him, and along those lines, you know, it's it, it's, it's a powerful source of his his renewal and his strengthening.
1: Mm. Um. It's called a handbook for the written. I'm just, or the, for the broken, a handbook for the broken. I'm reading from the Amazon page. And I just want to share with you friends. it, It says a valuable guide for anyone dealing with PTSD, trauma and tragedy, family members of trauma victims, clergy who seek a better understanding of psychology, and for counselors who seek a better understanding of the role of faith in the healing from trauma. Um, so Dr. Murphy, in the Christ Cure, it says you will learn how prevalent PTSD really is because we hear a lot about it, about the military and things like that. And maybe people are going through maybe like a hurricane or a tornado comes through their town mm. or something, but we really don't hear a huge part of the population outside from the U.S. military and what some have experienced, how many have experienced and what people go through in their lives with family or with just certain trauma. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, so when,
0: um you know, we do oftentimes think PTSD is something that soldiers have, veterans have. Mm-hmm. And look, they do, because in the horrors of war, and although I've never been in combat, because of the work I've done in hospitals and been in the ICUs and watching the healing that takes place for people who have massive head injuries or amputations or blindness, that that's nothing pretty about that, but what happens long after the last shot is fired next thirty, forty, fifty years, many of these are still trying to heal and go through battles. Well, mm-hmm. if we have witnessed a horrific incident, if someone has uh, seen an accident or, or trauma in their town, that those random things can really shake us to our core. But there's a second level, a second type of trauma where people experience where they've Uh, By living a life of risk, it brings it upon them. And so that can be the fireman, policeman, or or paramedic. Paramedics Mm. who say the worst day of your life is every day for me. Wow. But it is also when we take risks on our own life that lead us towards the chance of harm. And here's where it leads us to the third level, and that is sometimes the trauma is self-inflicted. The choices we make to be involved with a wide range of vices, to treat people poorly, to ignore um, the things we were called upon to do, eventually it catches up with us. Uh, I, I think of it in terms of much of our life. God says, Hey, I laid out the plans for you. Go. You're on your own. You got free will. Go for it. And people ignore it. And then sometimes it'll tap on the shoulder, that little whisper that says, Hey, you ought to redirect yourself. It's not good for you. The Lord puts people in our life to say, I think you're going the wrong way. Why don't you come this way? We can choose to ignore, we can choose to listen. And then sometimes we get that smack of a two-by-four upside the head that says, I told you to change. And then, they say, and then we say, well, why didn't you tell me before? And God said, I did. Um, so, But these traumas can also be prolonged issues. It could be the marriage that's struggling. It could be the, the divorce you were notified on. It could be you lost your job. Um, you, you have an injury and you can't do the kind of things you used to do. Um, those things can also bring this chronic stress, which can have a similar impact of the way the body and the brain responds to stress. And so in my book, I lay out not just those stages that Paul had there, but also six very practical things of why you have to remain physically fit and what the Bible says about that, why diet Mm. and what we eat is so important to our healing, why sleep is, why learning to relax and meditate. I mean, even Jesus sometimes said, hey, guys, you've been busy. Let's go off and rest. Mm, Take it easy. Take fun. And I think if it was good enough for the apostles, maybe we ought to do it too. Um, So in in all those lines, uh, in all those issues, um, we need to recognize, don't look upon trauma as, well, that's somebody else. I don't have to pay attention to me. That's when you're going to be in trouble. Always be vigilant. Know you'll be vulnerable. And then we'll look at ways... And sign in yourself that something is wrong, and adapt and deal with those, even if you don 't feel you have signs yet. Uh, start working on it now.
1: Mm. It looks like just from reading the table of contents, there's so many practical things that a person can do, because oftentimes a person that's dealing with some of these things, they feel overwhelmed, and the depression gets the best of them. As it talks about in the description, tens of millions of people suffer with anything from depression to anxiety, sleep disorders, uh, isolation, and the current treatment approaches, and boy, I've heard this from a lot of people, friends and people in the church, counseling and medication. But this often doesn't go far enough. Um, I would just love for you to just expound a little bit more on the fact that we need to really kind of take things in our own hands when it comes to our health instead of depending on the so-called experts. Many of them maybe mean well, but I don't think, first of all, they a lot of them don't take the faith perspective, and a lot of them don't give us enough tools – to do what some of the steps in particularly uh, chapters 12 through 17, get fit, strengthen your attitudes, sleep, your mind, eating healthy. Uh, share a little bit more about some of the steps maybe t- they can get people going on their own instead of relying on the medical establishment.
0: Sure. Well, um, the uh, in general, the issues is about... Um, uh, understanding what we need to do versus waiting for someone to do it. Medication is a passive thing. You take the meds and it's there. But a lot of people, even with depression, only about 35% of those who take an antidepressant medication will find it effective. They may try a second medication and it's 20%. By the time you get to the fourth medication, um, between the side effects and other effects, it only helps about six out of 100 people. Um, what happens in all this, it's like sitting down at your kitchen table and then saying, Where's the food? And no one's there. No one's going to prepare it for you. No one's going to feed you. No one's going to go to the store. You have to get up and do some things yourself, which means you got to move. you got to take control. Mm. Um, and what what happens in this faith aspect, the majority of psychologists, I think a study said 52% or so, um, don't talk about issues of faith when they're talking with someone in counseling. About a third of them won't talk about it at all because they consider themselves agnostic like or atheist. Mm-hmm. The problem is, Most clients want their counselor to talk about it. Hey, if it's taboo for you, maybe I shouldn't do it. Most people are believers. We have a couple hundred million Americans who are Christian, and and then people of other faiths as well. Why not talk about it? Why not weave this in? So my point is, what happens is counselors are ignorant to these issues. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that among clergy, about 40% of people go towards clergy for help, but only about 10% of clergy say they feel comfortable knowing what to do. That's why this is also a guide for them. So at the very least, what happens is um, that for those who are broken and the people who love them, because um, this could be a guide, and some of those other things you just mentioned in terms of other aspects of um, what to heal from, that we have to get up and move. Movement, physical exercise, actually is as effective as medication for depression. Hmm. Not in all cases. Wow. someone has severe depression, the medication may be necessary to help them through that. Okay. But study after study says if you get up and move, cardiovascular activity, strength training, um, uh, and the socialization that takes place with that sends certain chemicals to our system that helps our brain heal. It also burns off stress hormones, which other ways are like putting acid in a jar, it eats away at us, and that's important. Um, And I think as Paul was going on, he probably hiked some 10,000 miles. He didn't sit around. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing that's interesting, what he ate was what we prescribe now, the Mediterranean diet. Um, it's that fresh fish, it's the olive oils, it's the fruits and vegetables that are there. It's not junk food, it's not going and eating a bag of potato chips. All oh, didn't do that. That's very important because we know the processed foods can add to stressing the body, inflammation of the cells, and inflammation helps to create that sensation which is fatigue or depression or other aspects like that. Um, so when I talk about the fitness, Work on mental attitude, hmm. sleep, because we know sleep is critically important to healing. Absolutely. Stay, staying mentally involved with some mental training of some tasks. I tell people, find something you like, you're going to master, and take on something totally new, because you've got to get your brain thinking about things other than your tragedy. That's right. Um, <clears throat> the eating, and then learning relaxation, to calm yourself, uh, to learn about meditation and mindfulness, and the ultimate meditation is prayer.
1: It, so much of this reminds me of what you quoted earlier, Romans twelve two, that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that's pa- that's part of the battle for people that so, like can't get up off the couch to go outside and get the circulation going, just to walk, exercise. I know that's so important. So thank you for these practical things. Um, by the way, friends, we're talking with Dr. Tim Murphy. You can get the book on Amazon again. It's called The Christ Cure: Ten Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD, and is. Website is drtimmurphy.com. dot com. So um, you're seeing you're you're still seeing patients. I'm sure you're still dealing with um, associates or workers w- when you work in the military. What else are you doing? Uh, to, I know you, um, you from all that you've learned to put into this book. I'm sure you're applying it in your own life and helping people as well. What what's your practice like?
0: I am. Uh, so I, I focus now with dealing with the veterans and first responders and medical um, frontline people who Excellent. themselves are dealing with a lot of trauma, like working in burn units and ICUs. I also, on my website, I continue on with the lessons from the book or expanding those. I have podcasts there.
1: Um,
0: Very original, called The Dr. Tim Murphy Show. It doesn't have as cool a name as your program. But but it is is there. And there I talk about issues of psychology interwoven, braided together with issues of faith. Mm. Um, The one I just posted is called Just One More, and that's a story of... um, a combining a uh, story about a soldier who was saving a lot of people and always prayed to God, just help me let me help you with one more. But those are also the words that I believe a certain prophet in the past who they cut off his hair and he said, Well God, give me the strength just one more so I can tear this building down.
1: Right?
0: <laughs> Remember Samson? Yep. But what happens is all these stories come in there. You find I found it when people tell people uh, tell their clients, hey you need to journal Write down what's going on for you, and we say, "Okay, fine." Um, well, isn't that what was the Book of Ecclesiastes? Is a journal. Um, Paul's letter. Does sometimes say, "Write out a message to yourself." Well, that's what Paul did. Hmm. Uh, the teachings are all very important in there. So, um, there's nothing the new under the sun, right? We, we, we learn these things, but I, I want people to know that don't feel hopeless. No. Um, I have felt that feeling. Yep. Many of us have. We yep. think like, I just can't go on. But there is hope. One of the things we have as believers is we don't just think there's something over the horizon. We believe and know. That's what hope is. There is something over the horizon. Uh, And as a a philosopher once said, we all have a hole in our heart in the shape of God. Blaise Pascal said that. And when we're still feeling, I don't think I can quite do this. I don't know if I can go on. The answer is, yes, you can. And quite frankly, it must go on and you will go on. And your faith and the things that Christ has taught us are going to be a big part of that healing. Mm. So I hope people will get the book. I hope they'll read it. Even if they say, I don't have this myself, but I know someone who is, then read it for them because you can help them by encouraging them to do the things in this book. Again, I see it as a handbook for the broken and those who love them.
1: Mm. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I think of it, says, um, uh, He has made everything appropriate in its time, and God has also set eternity in their heart. And so, yes, there is a void that only God can fill. And when we're talking about issues as serious as PTSD and, and other people trying to heal from trauma, um, I'm, I'm really thankful that you wrote this book with the apostle Paul in mind and brought in the faith aspect because it was really, it had to be God to help him get through all the things he went through without just breaking down or or worse. But anyway, Dr. Tim Murphy. Friends, the the book is called The Christ Cure. It's on Amazon, but also at drtimmurphy.com. Sir, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: God bless you, and thank you for having me on, and thank you for your ministry.
1: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you again. Um, friends, when we come back, we're going to shift gears here. We're going to hear an audio clip from Tucker Carlson, and some of the things he's been talking about, one of the questions he asked was, who is telling the truth? And he had a great speech at the Heritage Foundation a week or so ago before he was fired or before he left Fox News. We'll talk a little bit about what he was calling out, not just the corruption in the media and about you know politicians, but also these, the transgender ideology. There's another mental health issue, perhaps. We can talk about that and what the Bible says next on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our truth at any cost mission strong. Stand up for the truth.com. I'm
0: just saying this is an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? It nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are we arguing for that? I don't, I, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good... What are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice.
1: That's Tucker Carlson in a speech at the Heritage Foundation, I believe, the weekend uh, before he was fired, if if I'm not mistaken. But just recently he was talking about these issues. So I want to go back to what he said. And I talked a little bit about this at my presentation at the Prophecy Conference over the weekend uh, where is this debate going? How do you debate this? What what if, what is the end goal? What do they, meaning the left, um, and that's defined by a lot of different um, people and, and types and categories, but what are they aiming for? What is their goal? And he asked the question: Is it an androgynous population? Are we just going to castrate a generation with you know hormones and surgeries and things like that? What and then he mentioned abortion in the Aztecs, and this is a population control issue, this is a an Imago Day issue, we the image of God, Imago Day. And that's why I want to go back to the basics and talk about um Genesis one twenty-seven. God created mankind, man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. So it's that image of God that Satan is on all the stops, and we're seeing it. And I want to just quote our friend Pastor Dean Dwyer again. I shared this a week or two ago. He said, "This is a clash of worldviews. God has spoken, and man has spoken. God speaks from eternity; man speaks from mortality. God speaks from or man God speaks from omniscient omniscience, and man speaks from flawed science. And then he goes on to say, because of their rejection of God." For example, Romans chapter 1, they become an untrustworthy guide in moral choices because they have rejected the knowledge of God. Let me repeat that. They become an untrustworthy guide in moral choices. And yet, we're hearing these debates. The Biden administration is full on behind this transgender ideology. And it's not just about, you know, allowing boys to play girls' sports, we're talking about access to dressing rooms, locker rooms, um, things like that. But and it's in many cases, in some states, in some schools, not telling the parents. Yet these people are now presiding over nations, governments, school boards, local councils, public libraries, sadly, even some churches. And that's I come back to Romans 12, too, that Dr. Tim Murphy quoted in the first segment. It starts out by saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Or the world's ways. Colossians 2.8 says, Don't be held captive by worldly philosophies. And back to Romans 12.2, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, um, They may sincerely believe their actions are for the good of humanity. And some people, friends, we know it's demonic what's happening. Some people think this is going to benefit children somehow they're not looking far they're not looking they're deceived and then there are many who are purposeful deceivers those the agenda driven but proverbs 14:12 says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death we've heard endless arguments supported by the complicit media of those with a debased mind and let me emphasize again it's time to redeem the time. It's time that those who have the mind of Christ, those who are believers in the true gospel, in the word of God, and have been saved, it's time for believers in Christ to raise up their voice and proclaim the truth. Yes, you might be called hateful, intolerant, um, I don't know, bigoted, homophobe, whatever, but Someone in the church, many in the church say, well, we need to be compassionate toward the LGBTQ community. And I agree 100%. We are on the same page right there. We need to be compassionate. And the most compassionate thing you can do if someone is heading for destruction is warn them. If we love people, we will tell them the truth. Warn them. Some people are fighting back. I'm going to go to just a headline here. I just pulled up from a few days ago. Um, teachers sue district, state education board for. F- now this is some. There are some teachers that are really, you know, doing good. Why did they sue the state education board for forcing them to lie to parents? of gender-confused kids. So there are some policies, and I'm sorry, friends, sorry to break the news if you're not aware of what's going on in the government-run education system in America. There are some policies in, in many school districts that says, yeah, you, you can come and keep this confidential with your teacher and your, the student about this transgender ideology if you want to go into the, the hormone treatment or if you want to eventually have a sex reassignment surgery, which is impossible. It does not exist. Gender reassignment surgery. It does not exist. That's not what they should call it. Those aren't the proper technical words for the truth. Because you, why? You cannot reassign what God designed. We were talking about that in creation over the weekend at the conference. If there is creation, if there is a design, there had to be a designer. If there is creation, and Romans 1 talks about this, men are without excuse. If there's creation that you can see that, oh my goodness, man could have never come up with this, there had to have been a creator. So there are some that are pushing back and fighting back. So this was a middle school, by the way. This was a middle school. These some of these there's a small number of teachers sued their school district because the policies say they were to hide the students' intention to change genders, hide from their parents. So there's a federal lawsuit filed by attorneys from Thomas Moore Society. And, um, yeah, this is not just a a single – oh, that's just a random case, right? Nowhere else in America is that happening. Don't be naive. But anyway, um, so I also wanted to talk about before Tucker Carlson left Fox News, he delivered – now, we played a clip from his speech at the Heritage Foundation. But before he left Fox – Tucker Carlson delivered a commentary on the corrupt media. He had been pointing out the problems with big pharma, and he's been talking about corrupt politicians, and he, he's he been saying this a lot, truth-telling, truth-telling. And he says the truth will come out. And he says, he asked a question, who is telling the truth? And he pointed out that a lot of, quote, news channels, and you've got to use air quotes when you <laughs> say news channels, They've taken hundreds of millions of dollars from big pharma companies, and they shilled for their products on the air. So, I who knows where what Tucker Carlson is going to do? I mean, he can just ride off into the sunset. He deserves it. I mean, he doesn't have to fight this battle anymore. This this truth war um, about what was happening, culture, politics education, corporation, society, but that's one thing he said. He said this debate about castrating children or starting them on cross-sex hormones or whatever, how, there's there's no debate you can find in policy papers when he was growing up and going through his education um, about this. You don't have policy debates on this. What is the final aim? What is the outcome? And that comes back to the depraved mind, the globalist mindset. There's a population control that is... Driven by the devil. Why? What's his mission? What is the enemy's mission? Kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill human beings. Why? Human beings are made in the image of God. Imago Dei. So, we'll try to keep up with um, what Tucker Carlson is doing because we, he can't, we don't agree with everyone 100% of the time. But I really, as, I've studied journalism in the past. Um, I really appreciated what he has done in what he has called out in his commentary on his program in the past. So let's see. Get back to the issue. By the way, one more article before we get to the issue. <laughs> Planned Parenthood is now stepping deeply into transgender hormones. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Including for minors, according to their annual report. Wait a minute. Stop right there. Um Planned Parenthood, transgender hormones. what What could their goal be? What are they trying to do? We know they just got a record amount of federal funding, thanks to the Biden Democrats. I believe it was 670 million dollars. That's on your way to a billion in federal funding, but they got a raise. So with Roe v. Wade being overturned last year, Planned Parenthood got a raise. How did that happen? Well, they came in and they revoked a Trump policy to protect um, the, the uh, taxpayers from having to force them to pay for abortions. But so the Biden said, no, nope, no more. We're going to give even more money to Planned Parenthood. And they are. And they did last year. Record number, record amount. They're. Doing very, very well over there. But they abort. Planned Parenthood is responsible for eliminating, murdering over 1,000. I believe the number was 1,025 babies a day, if I remember right. I wrote about it. It's my new article, but um, don't quote me on that. So very interesting. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, it's It's in a couple different places. Well, anyway, I want to go back to the scriptures. Remember what I started off the podcast, I quoted Jesus, the troublemaker, Matthew 19.4. He said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? We quoted Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we said, um, actually this is over the weekend, I was talking about, the. is this true? If this is true, if Jesus is right, if he spoke the truth, if he is God, how is this now a debate in our culture about creation? The very basics, the existence of God, the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the creation of mankind, male and female. How did he do that? Well, Genesis 1 and 2 talks about that. But let's go back to the Bible. Is it God's word or not? Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is Genesis scripture? Yes. Is Revelation scripture? Yes. Psalms? Yes. Isaiah? Yes. <laughs> Paul's letters? Yes. The gospels? Yes. All scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. 2 Timothy 3.16, and Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So a question I asked at the conference Saturday, a question I asked the audience, and they all responded correctly. I said, but I know the scripture says that. I know the Bible says that. But can God's word be trusted in this generation? Is it still true? Yes. Does truth expire? No. Does it depend on popularity and what's going on in culture? No. Does it depend on academia? No. Does it depend on politics? No. Is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. So, what's happening? Forces of darkness, (laughs) very dark, are assaulting the very truth of Scripture and blaspheming God. It begs the question: At what point is God's wrath released on a people, on a society? We look at Romans 1, the second half, particularly, and when do we know God's wrath might be being poured out on a people? Or when has He withdrawn His hand of protection and just allows the chaos to metastasize and, and get worse? How about now? Well, Romans 1.18, we're very familiar with this scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. On people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a lot of suppression of the truth going on, and you know that. So it also says in Romans 1, um, it is understood just from the fact that of creation, the miraculous creation and the beauty we see in the world and how it's how God holds the world, the earth, on its axis. And he created the, the mountains and the oceans and the, the trees, the forests, and the sky, the wonderful, magnificent colors no artist could duplicate. And that's evidence of a creator. And then, therefore, men and women are without excuse. So let's establish the fact there's a creator. But now, they've abandoned common sense and the ability to reason. Romans 1, 21, 22 says, their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. We have a lot of people today claiming to be wise. I can think of the, uh, like Lord Anthony Fauci. I can think of some emperors in certain states that are governors. I can think of Emperor Trudeau in Canada. I can think of Emperor Newsom in California. Um, anyway, we'll go on. Um, here's a couple examples I read of where we're at. I mean, just five examples. We're witnessing God giving us over to a depraved, not us, you and I, but the world, the culture, society, to a depraved mind. And let me emphasize again any attempt to define Humanity and morality differently than how God, in his word of truth, has clearly defined it. That's an act of rebellion. Evil is being called good. So, a conservative student at William & Mary University, Skylar Culbertson, wrote an article last month and said, I told my peers men cannot have babies. they threatened to kill me because of it. She has received actual death threats. We mentioned also recently Education Secretary Miguel Cardona refused to define woman under oath at a congressional hearing two weeks ago. And his job, by the way, is enforcing Title IX, which prohibits discrimination in education. Discrimination, including on the basis of sex. And he won't even say what a woman is. Can't he? No, he refuses to. Why? The Biden Democrats are working to alter Title IX and punish States that want to protect girls from boys in their dressing rooms, locker rooms, or competing against them in the sports. Look it up if you don't believe me. Look it up. A bill was introduced a week or week and a half ago in the US House of Representatives by Florida's Greg Stuby, God bless him. Co-sponsored by 93 Republicans, it's called HR 734, prohibits school athletic programs from allowing individuals whose biological sex at birth was male to participate in programs for girls or women. Every Democrat voted against it. Again, friends, they've they've played their hand. We know exactly who they are and where they stand. And we know exactly what their platform represents. In Keele, Wisconsin, again, three eighth-grade boys suspended for not using the preferred pronouns of a, quote, a transgender classmate, eighth-grade. Uh, wh- how do we get here in part? this The reframing of this argument, the redefining of words. Well, in 1973, the American Psychiatric Association, APA, was f- really forced to alter their classification of homosexuality. So they changed it from what they defined it as a mental illness. So they were forced to alter that classification. Um, The APA also considered 10 years ago and before that, transgenderism was a mental health issue, but due, due to pressure from the LGBTQ activist lobby, they have now defined it as gender dysphoria since 2013 the spiritual battle that is manifested in the natural on our watch. So how do we respond to some of this? We've just got five minutes left here. I mean, look at Planned Parenthood, their annual report. There. Now they want to get into transgender hormones? What's that about? That is about population control. It's not just about abortion. If you can't kill them off in their mother's wombs, now you can get them to take dangerous drugs, and even possibly convince them that surgery, what they used to call sex change, you can't change your sex, but surgery, cosmetic mutilation, surgery is the only thing that will make them happy and that will allow them to live, quote, um, according to who they truly are, end quote. And, you know, that's a lie right there. Uh, true to who you are, actually, whatever, how, whatever wording they use. But so this is going on. I want to just go back to... The school system, because this is really dangerous, what's happening in the schools. I, I don't think we talked about this story because it's a new story. This is from, I believe, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, A um, an 18-year-old male student. Now, this is an adult, walked in to the girls' locker room dressing room after gym class in the first hour and undressed and went into the shower and showered in front of, at the time, there were four freshman girls in the showers and this male goes in there and they knew they had an idea who he was because they heard this guy identifies as a female well he didn't he had a male body and he showered right in front of them any other point in our culture outside of the, the public schools this would be sexual abuse assault this would be you would be arrested for exposing yourself to a minor an 18 year old a senior Goes in and showers with high school girls. What could go wrong? There's check out your son or daughter if you still, if they're still in the government run schools, check out your school's policy. You better know what their transgender policy is because most of them are doing flips and cartwheels, bending over backwards to so called protect LGBTQ students and provide for them a safe, place, safe space. That's that's the language they often use in their diversity, equity, and inclusion, their DEI um, agenda. This is what they're using now. And keep your ears open. I said this too at the conference. Keep your ears open for the, the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They have redefined these words and now they use them as, as really, um, well, they have become weaponized. I want to go back and quote Now, this is in Jesus' day, first century. Have you ever heard of the philosopher Philo of Alexandria? He was a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher. So I'm saying quoting him because this is not a modern phenomenon. He said this, Philo of Alexandria. He lived during the first century. He talked about he was disgusted with effeminate males who used cosmetics on their face and hair. And he said, another evil much greater than that which we have already mentioned, has made its way among and been let loose upon cities, namely, the love of boys, which formerly was accounted a great infamy even to be spoken of, but now which sin is a subject of boasting pride, not only to those who practice it, but even to those who suffer it. Again, Philo lived during the time of Christ, a time in which Imago Dei, the image of God in mankind, was understood to be a foundational truth. Satan will continue to attack the image of God. So I was fascinated to hear that, to read that on Philo of Alexandria. So this is not, there's nothing new under the sun. They're just finding, as Romans 1 again, they're finding new ways to do evil. Right? Romans 130, inventors of evil things. What, what what kind of evil are you talking about, David? I'm talking about convincing children that they're unhappy, that they should hate their country and themselves, that you should confuse them about their gender and sell them life-altering surgeries and leave them scarred, depressed, and even suicidal. That's that's new ways of doing evil. You're they're inventing ways to implement evil. This is demonic friends. Again, it is a clash of worldviews. God or man. There I just, I just summed up the battle. God or man. We've run out of time. Uh, tomorrow we've got Dr. Ingrid Scott on the podcast, the vice president and director of medical affairs with the Charlotte Lozier Institute. It advises and leads the pro-life movement with scientific, statistical, and medical research. And we're going to talk a lot about the FDA approval of the abortion pill and how one federal court recently struck it down. This is a battle now. Talk about new ways to do evil. You don't even have to see your doctor to abort your child to get rid of the the pregnancy, the human... You you can just use the pill. Just take a pill. New ways to do evil. Dr. Ingrid Scott tomorrow, and Mary Danielson will be in studio with me. You will hear from Trevor Loudon on Wednesday. He's exposing U.S. congressmen and senators and their ties with the Chinese Communist Party. Chuck Gerard. Worship leader, pioneer of contemporary Christian music. We're gonna rock and roll preacher. We're gonna hear from Chuck Gerard on Thursday, and his daughter, by the way, Lisa Child, uh, Lisa Childers, John Leftler on the podcast on Friday. Busy week. Hope you're doing well. God bless you. And as always, friends, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.